0: Don't want to miss this tonight. So actually, during worship, I actually felt this word. i keep going. felt this word just in light of uh, the series, if you saw the slide up there, claiming our inheritance. And uh, just before I actually jump into my notes, I really wanted to encourage us with the scripture. Uh, Exodus chapter 19 says, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' win- wings. Wings and brought you to myself now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and i really believe that we've got to remember just hold that in the back of your mind tonight as i preach because we're going to be look we we're currently looking at the at the series Okay, we're going to go full tilt here hey? Don't worry about the clicker. Okay. There you go. Okay. Really is puzzling. That's a good sign. Greg, I think, is meant to preach tonight. What you got, Greg? You got got something on your heart, eh? I'm going to keep going. All right, my wife told me to keep going. I'm going to listen. So, how are you guys tonight? You well? Are you good? Are you comfortable? Yes. Aircon is pretty nice. Things are pretty good. Your seat's probably pretty good. But genuinely in your life, how are you at the moment? Excellent. Excellent. Bevy, are you killing my preacher, man? Sorry. <laughs> I want us to look at that question tonight because we're going to look at the nation of Israel. And we're in the book of Joshua. And I hope you, you really are reading and jumping into the book because it's not just some series that we're doing we've done a whole bunch of series over the last however many years but I feel like this is a pivotal moment for Glennage I really really do it's a pivotal moment God's doing something he's speaking to us loudly we're claiming our inheritance and there's something that needs to happen there's something that's busy breaking through Drew's message this morning all about breakthrough that Jesus is the breakthrough and God is speaking to us loudly and I hope we're listening and there's this, the, the, the background to, we're going to get into chapter 7 of Joshua. So if you've got a Bible or you, on your phone or whatever, open it up. And, um, and um, as we get into Joshua, there's this beautiful background story that we don't want to miss because God takes his people and he takes us out of slavery. He takes us out of slavery, he takes the Israelites out of slavery. And he sets them free, but he doesn't just set them free, he, he takes them into something and he's promised this beautiful land for them, this land of milk and honey. But it's amazing that whole story when you begin to just, if we just take a step back to Egypt, it's God's hand constantly, it's his grace and his love that is doing everything. We look at the Old Testament sometimes and we think, sheesh, there's no grace there. It was just Law and order and every CSR show and what you know it was just every it was just the harshness of God but actually His grace is permeates through all of that. God gets them out of these slave masters of Egypt, the Pharaoh, the whole thing. He 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 sets them free. He portrays His miraculous power in His hand. Just it's it's amazing. He gets them to the Red Sea and He parts this Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground and He destroys their enemy. They really didn't do much. They just packed up their things, ate some leg of lamb and went. And He takes them into the desert and they start whining and grumbling because there's no food. And then He just miraculously provides food. This is the story of grace, of grace, of grace throughout art. Eventually, they're 40 years wandering through the desert because of their rebellious hearts. God just providing, just God extending down upon them every moment, and they still, these hard hearts just keep developing, developing. Anyway, and so they get to the Jordan, and again, they, they, they're facing, on the, they're on the precipice of, of getting into their inheritance. And there's nothing that they can do but God. And God steps in, and the Jordan gets ripped open, and they walk through on dry ground, and they get there. And then they get to Jericho, and we've been touching a little bit on the story of Jericho. Most of us know the story of Jericho. They get It's their first real battle, sort of, and it's not really a battle, but let's be honest, because they get there, and it's this tightly bound city. And what do these guys do? They literally just walk around the city. A few times, chup, chup. And God breaks in again. God breaks in again. Not the Israelites. And by this time, before I jumped again, I see I've got slides. Let me try. Oh. And so in verse 18 of chapter 6, God says just before they go to walk around, because it wasn't a battle, let's be honest. They get to Jericho and it wasn't a battle. They just had to walk and blow some trumpets and have some fun. And God says to them, listen, I'm going to do all this work, just whatever you do, just leave the devoted things. The silver, the gold, the iron, bring those things, put them in my treasury, and it will go well with you. And so they think they do this. And at the end of of chapter 6, at the end of chapter 6, we read this. Verse 27. It says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. It's amazing. The Lord was with Joshua and his name spread throughout the land. At this point in time, I get this feeling, and we're going to pick up this thread in a moment, that there was this contentment that almost crept into the camp. It was like they hadn't really done anything. Let's be honest. They'd hardly lifted their sword too much and God was extending grace and grace and grace. And tonight as we look at the story of Joshua, I want us to take a close look. Because I think at this point in time, in in, in Joshua's life and in the Israelites, there's this contentment that is creeping in. It's just everything's just kind of okay. The aircon's at like a perfect 23, the seat's kind of comfortable, everything's just okay, fine and dandy. And the trouble with that is contentment is not a good place to be. We are not meant to be content. And so tonight I really want to put a death blow to mediocrity. Because I feel like as we read the story in chapter 7, we're going to see a few things. We're going to ask God to show us what he was saying. And then I want us to say what is next for us. What do I need to do? tonight. Chapter 7, verse 1. Who here likes reading the end of a book, finding out what happens? Anyone? Kind of read the last few pages, know what the whole story is on about. Well, this is verse 1. Verse 1 stands out completely separately from the rest of the chapter, and it reads like this. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Remember verse 18? They took some... The, Lord, the father said don't take these devoted things we now find out in verse one that they had Achan son of Kami son of Zimri the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of them and so the Lord's anger burned against Achan mmm it's not what it says it says the Lord's anger burned against the nation of Israel one man decides he sees something. It says later on in the chapter, he saw these things, he coveted them, he took them, and then he hid them. I think at this point, these guys have got a little bit too confident, a little bit too smug. And so what happens in the next two verses, in the next uh, three verses? Verses two through five. We're going to read them real quick. They get a serious whipping. I was told I couldn't say a certain word that normally goes with whipping. Drew said it's not okay to say it. So maybe you might be thinking, but I, I didn't say it. So, but they get a they get a serious whipping. They get a they get a shellacking. All right. The nation of Israel, and it goes like this. Verse two. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Which is near Aven. Those two places are actually considered one place, and I'll get to why in a minute. Which is near Aven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out AR. When they returned to Joshua, they said, if I, could, if I was Texan like Drew, I'd do a bit of a cowboy accent, sitting on a porch with my Stetson and the whole thing. They basically say, "Ah, Not all the people will have to go up against AR. Basically, we got this. Send two or three thousand men to take it and do not worry all the people, for only a few men are there. It's said that, that nation that tribe had about twelve thousand people. These guys go up, they say, ah, three thousand people. Well, peanuts. I mean, we got this thing together. Have you just seen what we've done? Parting the Jordan, parting the Red Sea, destroying the city, oaks. Take a chill pull, huh? Hey? goes on like this, verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. I love that. It's kind of interesting, about 36. I mean, who rounds to 36 anyway? They chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. These guys got a hiding. And we're going to have a quick look why. I think at this point in time, they were way too smug. I'm not sure where you are in your walk with Jesus tonight. But how are you feeling? A little bit content? Things just sort of okay? You're just cruising along? Think, actually, I've got this. I don't really need too much help. You see, standing. In our own strength, without dependence on God, leads to defeat. You see, they basically came back. Number one, Joshua doesn't consult God. He doesn't pray. He doesn't do anything. He just sends these spies out. He doesn't ask God. He doesn't get before God. He doesn't petition God. He doesn't pray. All we know is he sends them. They come back. They say, "We got this. Don't worry. We got this. Don't worry. Stand back." Not all the people have to go. I mean, it's a little bit like Drew when he was, what, two maybe? Stetson. There you go, it is. I mean, I actually took it off, a photo off as well. We think, actually, we've got this. We don't need any help. You know, the nation of AR and Beth Aven, AR, the word means heap or rubble. This is God's creativity woven into his scripture here. And the name Beth-Avon means nothingness. So the nation of Israel go out, think they've got this, they don't need any help, and they get a serious whipping from a pile of nothingness. A huge pile of nothingness. When last did you venture out, making a decision, making a turn, making a call, deciding as a family, deciding as an individual what to do, where to go, how to do it, when did you consult the Lord? When did you rely on Him, petition Him, call out to His name, and say, Lord, we're not going to move until you speak? I thought a, a funny story right about now would work well. And I don't have too many, but I got one that I'm going to share tonight. And I was probably about seven or eight, grew up in Richards Bay, used to do BMX everywhere, bicycles every day. When we went to school, we'd ride our bikes all over the suburb. And me and my mates, we had about two, of us, two or three of us, and we, the, the one day we had uh, decided to build this fort up in this, uh, we, there were these beautiful like sand dunes near the beach uh, with like coastal forest on them. And we thought what a great idea let's build a fort up there so we build fort we take we rub and pillage from home we take stuff up there um anyway one of the days i think i'd taken these concrete pavers from my house that needed to go back i'm not sure the full story but i needed to get these concrete pavers back now we're at the top of this sand dune and i've got my bmx and i was a good bmx rider i mean i knew i mean we we rode everywhere Short side notes, I mean, I literally built a tandem out of two BMXs with my mate. I mean, so just a little bit of like, I I knew BMXs, eh? And um, so we're now at the top, I'm at the top of the sand dune, and um, soft sand, eh, beach sand. And got these concrete pavers, and I think to myself, I got this. Just stand back, everybody, I got this. And I took these two concrete pavers, about five kilos each, Stack two of them on top of my handlebars. I mean, that seems like the right thing to do. Good BMX rider, I can do this. And I put them in there, on the top of the the BMX handlebars, I jump on beach sand, eh, down a hill, and I start taking a few pedals, before I'd even built half any momentum, I went flying, and the concrete pavers went flying. And the two of us met somewhere along the way, And it literally gouged out a portion of my lily-white skin off the side of my leg. I don't know what happened. I didn't. I don't know why I didn't get a a, 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 a skin graft. I mean, I just ended up with this huge cut on the side of my leg. Lay on, on, on in bed for weeks, just trying to recover the pain, the pride, all of it. It had all been destroyed. But we live our lives. Just thinking we've got this I know how to do this I know how to ride a BMX don't don't I don't need your help the nation of Israel in the same place and they get this hiding so verse 6 through 9 goes like this it's the whining Joshua being the captain of the ship decides I'm gonna get before God and in his humanity He's now, I can imagine, he's probably had a, a number of anxiety attacks. He's probably on the edge of life. He's not sure what's going on, but he knows to get before the Father. And it reads like this, verses 6 through 9. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, I'm going to do my best whining voice here. Work with me. Oh, Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Emirates, to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now? That Israel has been routed by its enemies. The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. And they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. It's my favorite one at the end here. What then will you do for your own great name? It's amazing. It's always somebody else's fault. Always somebody else's fault. Joshua gets on his face. It's the right place to be. His humanity steps in and he just starts whining. Just, it was good that he was before the Lord. We'll see in a minute why, but he just starts pointing fingers. Can we take a little bit of responsibility for where we are? And then the truth really comes out. He says in the second half of verse 7, and this word caught me a few weeks ago. It said, if only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. You see, on the eastern side of the Jordan was where they kind of arrived before they crushed over the Jordan. On the eastern side of the Jordan, there were no giants. It was just great on that side. The aircon was at 23. The chairs were comfy. Probably had some food on our table. Everything was okay. It was safe. It was pretty mediocre. And that's not where God had them to be. He was calling them to greatness. He was calling them into His story to bring glory to His name, to go across the Jordan, and to fight the giants. It says early in chapter 1 of Joshua, it says that actually you're to go across the Jordan to go and help and fight for your brothers and your sisters. Are we doing that? Are we walking in the call that God has over your life, over our life as a community? Are we contending for what God has for us. You see, I thought of, what is a, what's the best description for something that's content? And as I was thinking about this, I heard a little coo-coo, coo-coo out my window. And it happened to be the local pigeon. And uh, I don't like pigeons. I don't know if there are any animal lovers out there, but I, I, I don't love pigeons because of this very reason. They coo and they poo. That's all they do. They coo and they poo. They're rats with wings And I really don't see any value. And to me, it's a picture of being content. They're just sitting up in the rafters, don't know what they're doing other than cooing, but that's what they do. And actually, God has so much more for us, guys. He is passionate and jealous after us. He does not want us sitting forever in these chairs... Just listening and sitting up in the rafters cooing and pooing he has more and I love this verse 10 the first three words says the Lord said see it's a profound thing at this point in time the one thing that Joshua had gotten right as he was face down, crying out to the Lord. He says he got there and then he stayed there until evening. So there was a period of time that he was there. He gave himself to the floor. And his ears were open. I want, us to, I want to ask us tonight. You see, earlier in verse 2 and 3 and 4, Joshua just sends people off. They come back. They go, he makes a decision, he's not listening to the voice of the Lord. All of a sudden, 36 men are dead, now he's listening. We sometimes wonder why, Geez, Lord, why am I in this valley? And I'm not saying it's a formula, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm asking us, are we listening to the voice of the Lord? Are we putting ourselves before him, asking him, Lord, I'm great at this job. I know I can do it well. I know I can just carry on. But I still need to hear from you. I still need to know that you're speaking to me, that you're leading me, that you're guiding me. And so, are we listening, Glenridge, to the voice of the Lord? The father steps down and he begins to speak. And he says these words Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? See, this isn't a fuzzy, teddy, loving father moment. This is the father stepping down because he loves us and because he cares about us. And actually, it's a moment of correction. And he says, will you contend, Joshua? Will you contend, Glenridge, for what I have over your life and over this community's life? Because as we've heard before in the book of Joshua, there was a whole generation that weren't ready. And he just waited for them to die. And he raised up another generation. Chapter 5, go read it. And he says to Joshua, would you stand up? It's not a time to sit and lie on your face any longer. You need to stand up and contend. No longer is it okay to be content with where you are, with the mediocrity that you're living in. You need to begin to contend, Joshua. Someone once told me, never bite off more than you can chew. I said I'd rather choke on greatness than nibble On mediocrity. Someone once told me never bite off more than I can chew. I said I'd rather choke on greatness than nibble on mediocrity. I really believe this is a season for us as individuals as a community that we are to stand up at this time. It's no longer time to lie on our face crying about the past and this and that and the next thing. You see, there's, there's giants out there, and there's giants in here. There's sin in the camp, Achan, and there's giants out there, Jericho, etc., etc., AR, all of them. They're everywhere. But what are we going to do? I really believe for Glenridge, it's not a time to lie down anymore and just be okay, and begin... You see, when we're content, as Achan was, he was content. Then he saw, he was tempted, then he began to covet, and then he took it, and then he hid it. So much of that starts when we're just okay, when we're relying on ourselves, when we're not before the Father, prostrate before him, saying, Father, speak to me every moment, day by day, hour by hour. Lord, show me what it is that you're wanting me to do. God is calling us to great things, to contend for our brothers and sisters. I really do believe that there's a renewal, a revival that begins. I love Ephesians chapter 3. The end of chapter 3, in the message, it reads like this and goes into verse in chapter 4, and Paul, the writer, is telling about how much the, this, this incredible width and this incredible spectrum of the love of Christ. And at the end of it, he says, live lives full, full lives, full in the fullness of God. Verse 1, chapter 4, he says, in light of all of this, in light of what Christ has done for you, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here as a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet run on the road that God has called you to. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands in the 23 air conditioning with your comfy seats. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. It's not a time to sit on our hands any longer. You see, the reality is we've got to know that there are consequences Verses 11 and 12. It says, Israel sinned. They had violated the covenant which I commanded them to keep. This is God speaking. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their, with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against the enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever is among you. Those devoted things that were meant to be destroyed. I love the parallel here. Just in the ver- chapter before we see Rahab and now we've got Achan. And God so cleverly weaves this together. You see Rahab wasn't in the line of, uh, uh, of Abraham. She, she wasn't part of the Israelite uh, uh, royal priesthood. She was a prostitute. She lived in a foreign city And these spies come along looking to figure out how do they take this city of Jericho. And she somehow hears the voice of the Lord and begins to partner with what God is doing. And because she made a good call, because she heard the voice of the Lord, I believe she must have. I mean, these foreigners rock up in this brothel trying to figure out they're incognito. They go to a brothel because, I mean, you wonder. I mean, I, I had to look that up. Why? How did Rahab and these spies meet? And it was because they were trying to keep a low profile. So they go to this brothel. They meet Rahab. And because she makes a good call, because she hears God's voice and obeys His voice, her and her whole family, an extended family, not only do they get saved, not only do they get pulled into this grand story, they become part of Jesus' lineage. And then on the other hand, you've got maybe you and I. Achan, we know Jesus, most of us here. We're part of his royal priesthood. Everything's fine and dandy, but we make some bad calls. And the sad part of the story for Achan is he doesn't make it, he gets stoned, and not only him, but his entire household. It's radical. God is jealous for us. Goes on in verse thirteen, verse thirteen and fourteen. God says, Go consecrate the people, tell them. Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Verse 14 onwards, he begins to <clears throat> excuse me, describe how to resolve the matter, trying to find Achan. Who here wants revival? Who wants to see incredible things? Who wants to see this world changed, turned right way up for Jesus? You know, we so often think that that starts by us protesting and picketing outside um, abortion clinics, maybe. Maybe it's us taking a team of people and going off to the casino and saying, enough's enough and creating a, a human barricade. Is that what revival looks like? It's kind of out there. The secular world out there that's so evil that's just oppressing us. I mean, it's falling apart. There's just things happening, corruption, presidents, this thing and the next thing. It's all out there. Sheesh, we've got to pray for that stuff. Hope it changes. I love how Mark Sayers puts it. A clever man from Australia. He says, the first task is not to de-secularize society. It starts As every revival, every renewal, it starts with us, you and I, de-secularizing ourselves. In other words, it doesn't start out there. It's got to start with us. See, God, in verse 13, He says, go and consecrate the people. Step one, this is how we do it. Step one, we, we start with me. I start with me. I begin to consecrate my life. I don't now go off and hide like a monk in something that's closed and away from the world. I've got to get inside of me. I've got to start purging my life. What are those things, Glenridge, for you tonight? What is God beginning to put his finger on? What are the things that are so Forcing you or or, or controlling you to live in this content, mediocre life because he doesn't want us there. He's taking us out into the promised land, into our inheritance, and we've got to get rid of these things before we can go further. You see, again, his motive is love. He wants our undivided devotion. This isn't some headmaster. This is a loving Father who wants our attention. He wants our attention. He wants our undivided devotion. I don't know if the band could come up just as I get to my last point or two. But it goes on to say, first point is that we need to contend. It's not a time to be mediocre anymore. We need to consecrate. Our lives to him. You see they eventually they found Achan and he gets brought forward by the wisdom of God and he describes how he saw, he coveted, he took. But it says that Joshua says to, to Achan, he says, tell me what you have done and do not hide it from me. See at that point in time they had to go to Achan Everybody at this point in time knew something was up. Everybody had been consecrated. Everybody was, ooh, sheesh, I don't know. the fire's getting warm. I don't know what's going on, but something's up. We just saw 36 people die. We saw the consequences of somebody's sin or something seemed wrong. And Achan still didn't step forward. Tonight, I want to invite us forward to confess. If there are things that you're holding onto, maybe it's mediocrity, maybe there's some significant sin where you've taken things, you've done things. This is a safe space. I want to encourage us to come forward tonight in a moment. And if it's before the Lord, but I want to encourage us that it's with one another. Find somebody that you know that you can trust. You see, there is victory. You see, they do all of this. Achan, unfortunately, gets the raw end of the stick. But in chapter eight, verse one, the story continues and the heading is, A.R. is destroyed. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid, do not be discouraged by everything that's just happened. Take the whole army with you. See, all of a sudden God speaking and giving them strategy for what to do and how to destroy this nation, Ai. It's not like Joshua just got up and then went and had another go. No, God is speaking. Their lives had been consecrated. They had confessed what they needed to and they were now standing up, no longer on the floor, and they were contending for what God had for them. And God's grace again just begins to pour out So take the whole army with you, go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered, the Father has delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. For you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off the plunder and livestock for yourself. You see, it's amazing. Jericho, they weren't allowed to do that. And God gets inside of their hearts God begins to do something. And now with Ai, he says, actually you've, I've got your, I've got your undivided devotion. And at now I'm just gonna begin to bless you. And he pours out and he pours out. You see, there is victory and we know his name is Jesus. He is the cure. He has won the battle and in him we have the victory.